Welcome to another episode of Hitting Pay Dirt by Impact Sports. This is episode number 40, and I'm Alex Beaudry. It is March 23rd, Wednesday, <clears throat> as I record this, and the big news of the day, Tyreek Hill moving on from the Kansas City Chiefs in a pretty wild trade over to the Miami Dolphins. Um, <clears throat> apparently the two sides, and when I say two sides, I mean the Chiefs organization, and Tyreek Hill and his representatives uh, were, you know, trying to hammer out a new long-term deal and they weren't making progress. So Hill requested a trade and the Chiefs made it happen. Um, So the details of the trade were that Tyreek Hill is being sent to the Miami Dolphins for five draft picks, a first a second and a fourth this year, and then a fourth and a sixth for next year. I'm just double checking to make sure that that's accurate. Yeah. So first, second, and fourth this year, <clears throat> and then a fourth and a sixth round pick next year. So in that's got to be the most amount of draft picks traded for a non-quarterback, at least in recent memory. Um, And in a way, the Oakland Raiders uh, are the huge winners here. So I saw a tweet. I apologize for not remembering who said it. um, But the Raiders trade a first and a second for Devontae Adams, who, if you remember, was playing under the franchise tag. Um, So he moves on from Green Bay, heads to – Las Vegas, and then signed a massive contract. So at the time, just a short week ago, uh, he was the highest paid wide receiver with an average annual value of $28 million. He signed a five-year, $140 million deal with practical guarantees of just over $65 million. So with that being said, Devontae Adams resets the market, right? At the time, DeAndre Hopkins was the highest paid wide receiver, 27 and just 27 and change, average annual value. Devontae Adams resets that. Tyreek and his team sees that and says, hey, we deserve to be the highest paid wide receiver. So they approached Kansas City and they wanted something around the $30 million average annual value. The The value of it, I think, is... I don't know what to think of it, if I'm being honest. My first blush is $30 million for a wide receiver is ridiculously high. But... Tyreek Hill can do things that other wide receivers can't. His speed is a true game changer. My concern, if I was a Dolphins fan, would be can he continue that speed over the length of the contract? This is a four-year deal. Now, I will say that you know, guaranteed at signing, 52 and a half. Practical guaranteed is about 72. So I look at that as this is a two, maybe a three-year deal. He'll be 31 at the end of that. Um, can they move on from him at that point? Maybe. Uh, and maybe Tyreek Hill continues to perform. And, you know, the way he can change a game plan, um, maybe it ends up being a bargain by the end of this deal. I don't know. So anyway, when Vegas traded for Adams and then they re-signed him with that 5 for 140 deal, 
it pushed the price tag up if you're Tyreek Hill in his camp. Now, you might say, yeah, but Hopkins was sitting there at 27 anyway. He likely would have been in that 28 to $29 million range to begin with, and that may be true. However, it's undeniable that Ty- Tyreek Hill's value that he wanted out of his next contract was set by Adams and Hopkins. And the reality that is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs is that they finally have to begin paying Patrick Mahomes. You may remember back in, gosh, 2020, yep, July 6, 2020, Patrick Mahomes signs a 10-year, $450 million contract extension. He played the 2020 season at a very reasonable salary cap hit of 5.3. Last year, his base salary was 990000 His signing bonus proration was still only $2 million because a part of that 10-year deal was a $10 million signing bonus, which is peanuts. And then he's got some workout and restructure bonuses, blah, blah, blah. So his cap hit last year, because he did extend some things out, $7.4 million. This year, his base salary jumps to $1.5 million. He's got a signing bonus number of still $2 million. His roster bonus, he gets a roster bonus, $27.4 million. Okay? That is fully guaranteed. That will hit. And then, so his cap number is going to jump up to 35.7. As I've mentioned several times on this podcast, having a quarterback with less than a $10 million cap cap hit is a huge advantage. It is the reason why the Chiefs have been to two Super Bowls in the last three years and an AFC championship in the year they didn't go. It's because not only is Patrick Mahomes one of the great quarterbacks in the league, they were getting him at pennies on the dollar, at least from a salary cap standpoint. That is all going to change. Next year, he's got a roster bonus of $34 million. The year after that, it's $34.9 million. The year after that, it's $38.9 You can see where this is going. He's going to have cap hits of 46, 44, 46, 41, 59 <clears throat> over the next handful of years. Now, will they redo his deal? Maybe. Based on where the salary cap is going, by the time this deal is done, he may be a bargain, right, if they don't redo his deal. So, <clears throat> you know, I'm not sitting here criticizing the Chiefs. You have someone like Patrick Mahomes. You need to do what it takes to keep him. But from a roster management standpoint, it gets more difficult. Because now he's going to start charging against the cap what he's you know worth, and that's thirty five point eight million dollars this upcoming year. You add that in to the fact that they're also paying Chris Jones, defensive tackle. He's got a cap hit of twenty nine million dollars this year, uh, all with a roster bonus. Orlando Brown Jr., who they franchise tag, has a cap number of sixteen point six. Frank Clark, the defensive end, has a cap hit of thirteen point seven this year. Kelsey's deal hasn't even kicked in yet. Um, He's only got a cap hit of $8.8 million this year. But when he signed his extension, he signed a four-year $57.25 million contract. That doesn't begin to kick in until next year. So next year, in his age 34 season, he's going to have $12.2 million base plus some bonuses to have a $14.6 million cap hit. Could he be the next cap casualty for the Chiefs? And by cap casualty, I mean just getting straight out cut. Um, 
So he's fine for this year with only a $7.6 million, excuse me, $8.8 million cap hit. But he, he could be next. This could be the end of the Kansas City Chiefs as we know it. Um, and it just becomes, it comes down to money that you can't have, you can't have the highest paid wide receiver at every position and still round out your roster. Um, the Packers found that out the hard way. You know, they've, re- they've brought back most of their team, but they couldn't sign guys like Campbell and Douglas and, you know, the other high priority free agencies. They still need to extend Alexander. Um, and they couldn't do all that while paying Devonte Adams five for 140 so he moved on although the rumor is that they offered him more money so maybe they would have found a way the Chiefs are um are not going to do that and they weren't going to pay Tyreek four for 120 which is what he ended up getting with the Miami Dolphins so they moved on and they got a haul for him so going back to my Raiders comment not only did the Raiders get Devontae Adams they were able to re-sign Max Crosby but in the process, they may have forced the Chiefs to get rid of their best weapon. Tyreek Hill sees what Devontae Adams gets. He wants it. The Chiefs can't do it or don't want to do it. And now he's out. And, you know, <clears throat> I've heard rumors that the Chiefs might look for, like, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, former Packer wide receiver who's got speed. You don't just replace a Tyreek Hill. And this offense will be worse because of it. So if you're the Raiders, not only did you get your guy and you make Derek Carr very happy, but now you just weakened what the Chiefs were able to do. So whoever tweeted that I think was uh, it's a great tweet. I think this shakes up the 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 division. Can the Chiefs still finish a top? Of course they can. You still have top three quarterback in the league, still the best quarterback in the division. But it gets a little harder. Um, it definitely gets a little bit harder. Okay, let's look at this from the Dolphins' standpoint. So they gave up a first, a second, a fourth this year, and uh, a fourth and a sixth next year. Next year picks are kind of whatever. They had to offer something more than what Oakland gave the Packers for a couple reasons, the first being their first-round pick was seven picks later. Oakland traded the 22nd pick to the Packers for Adams. They're sitting at 29, so that pick isn't worth as much. So they also traded a first, a second, and then they added a fourth. The main reason they were, I think, able to do that is because the Chiefs had the leverage. Tyreek Hill was still under contract for another year. Uh, Adams was playing on the tag, if you remember. So if the Chiefs wanted to, they could have let Hill play and then tagged him next year. Um, Instead, they decided to move on right away. And the Dolphins had to pay a little bit more in terms of draft capital to make that happen. The other team that was in the mix was the Jets. And the Jets have four picks in the top 40 in the draft this year. So if you're the Dolphins trying to compete against that, I think they also had to go a little bit all in because all it would have taken probably for the Jets to get this deal done is to include either the fourth or the tenth pick, which apparently they did not want to get rid of. So um, that's what the Dolphins had to give up. They also signed a four-year, $120 million deal, average annual value with Tyreek Hill, $30 million, 52.5 guaranteed at signing, total guarantees, $72.2 million. So as the contract gets finalized and places like SpotTrack and Over the Cap begin to report on it, we'll, we'll give you more details. Um, 
but yeah, fascinating stuff. This continues to be one of the craziest off seasons that I can remember. I know everybody's throwing that around on Twitter, but the amount of star movement certainly has increased over the last, over this off season compared to others. Um, and we may not be done yet, which is also kind of crazy. This happened, I think within a day, at least according to, you know, following it on Twitter. So, um, fascinating stuff. You now have Hill and Waddle to play with Tua down there in Miami. That AFC East is turning out to be a tough division. You expect the Patriots to get better. Buffalo added some big pieces this year. And now Miami's kind of going all in. And then the Jets have those four picks in the top 40. Can they turn it around? Again, fascinating stuff. Um, Didn't really see this coming. Didn't expect to be talking about this today. Uh, but that's the beauty of the NFL offseason. So, um, yeah, that's the trade in a nutshell. Tyreek Hill, the newest, highest-paid wide receiver at an average annual value of $30 million, four for 120, um, just a week after Devontae Adams set that mark. <clears throat> so crazy stuff, and that's where um, that's where that went. Okay. One other quick item that I wanted to discuss today, um, shifting gears over to the college landscape. Uh, the news a couple days ago was that a um, a new recruit out of California, he's a quarterback. I will get his name here. Um is that he has signed with the he he's signed signed is probably the wrong word or maybe it's the right word uh, depending on this recruitment but he's declared to attend the University of Tennessee and his name is gosh let's see here Nico Amaliva I hope I pronounced that correctly uh, six foot five. Number three ranked prospect in his class, six foot five, hundred ninety five pounds. Um, it's the highest ranked recruit I think that Tennessee's had since Peyton Manning. So <clears throat> the the big story is not that Nico uh, committed to play at the University of Tennessee. It's that the rumor was that he was paid eight million dollars in some way connected to him committing to Tennessee. So the the new word is collectives. A collective paid could pay him up to $8 million by the end of his junior year. Now, the question will be, did this collective pay him to attend the University of Tennessee? Did they induce him by this contract, by this money, to attend the University of Tennessee. Because if they did, that would be violating the NCAA rules on name, image, and likeness. So if you remember, I I believe I talked about this, oh gosh, a couple months ago in one of the episodes. I think I even may have touched on it with Mike. The NCAA, after the Supreme Court gate this summer, really punted the ball when it comes to NIL management and 
investigations and those things. After the Alston case, the, the NCAAs had their tail between their legs, and instead of coming up with a comprehensive policy, they just kicked the can down the road and said, you know what? Every school, you deal with your own state legislatures, and you figure it out. And they 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 released a one-page interim policy. And the <clears throat> the main thing in that policy was that NIL cannot be used to induce a recruit to play for a school. The main reason is that they didn't want to make this pay for play. They do not want anything to do with having colleges pay athletes to pay. It would ruin the NCAA business model and quite frankly would make them irrelevant. Now, the thing that I wanted to talk about <clears throat> specifically was how should schools be handling this, which is interesting. On the one hand, you really don't want the NCAA sniffing around, right? If you are the University of Tennessee and you had nothing to do with this, which you may or may not believe depending on the recruit that's coming in and working with your boosters and all that stuff, but if you had nothing to do with this, <clears throat> You don't really want to be in trouble for or being accused of inducing a player to come when all you did was recruit him legally. Again, assuming that that's the case, I think it gets a little tricky when you start talking about boosters and all this different stuff. However, schools should also want this to happen. And here's the reason why. I think very clearly in the next five to 10 years, we're going to have pay for play. I think it's, I think name, image, and likeness is just the tip of the iceberg. Once this gets out, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. If this kid's going to get $8 million to attend school to play football, you can't go backwards on that. Look at what Bryce Young's got. Look at what Quinn Evers has got. Look at what all these other guys have got. Now, I'm talking about the very, the one-tenth of one percent that are getting multi-million dollar deals. It's not like every college athlete's getting this, but you can't, there's no way to get this genie back in the bottle. The NCAA will be vilified, not to mention if it goes back to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court in the Alston case, in Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion, very clearly made it sound like anything the NCAA tries to do to limit athlete compensation would be a violation of antitrust rules. So <clears throat> it'll be very interesting. What does the NCAA do here? Do they investigate and do they try and crack down on this? Because a lot of schools are upset. It's interesting to me that the schools that are upset are your blue blood programs. It's the University of Georgia's, it's the Alabama's, it's the Clemson's of the world. <clears throat> and I think the reason is they are finally losing their grip on the recruiting on the recruit on the recruiting world. The number one recruit last year went to uh, HBCU, Jackson State, to go play for Deion Sanders. And now one of the top quarterbacks in the country is going to the University of Tennessee, who hasn't been good since Peyton Manning graduated there, God, twenty five years ago, however long ago it was. So for everybody who thought, oh, you know, <clears throat> NIL and pay-for-play will just ruin the 
landscape of college football, I've been arguing forever, this will give other programs like Tennessee a chance to compete. Because how else is Tennessee going to get this quarterback? They're not. Okay, so that's one point. But going back to what I was talking about with the NCAA, so do they crack down on the University of Tennessee here? Maybe. Do they get sued? Probably. Would they win? I don't think so. And I think if they lose this next case over NIL enforcement, it would finally be the floodgates would be open, and I think pay-for-play would be on our doorstep. The main thing that pay-for-play would have to overcome is Title IX. But even so, NIL deals for female athletes have rivaled that of at least men in basketball. It's normally football and then women's basketball and then men's basketball are right there, 2A and 2B. So maybe that would be an argument against it. Furthermore, if you are a school in one of these conferences, you should be petitioning the NCAA to not enforce these rules. And the big reason why is it's the exact same reason why owners in the NFL or any other sport, professional sports league get their stadiums paid for by taxpayers. You spread out the cost of building a new stadium, but the owner gets all the profit for that building. It's the same thing here. If we know that pay-for-play is coming, and it is, If I'm a school, I would much rather have boosters and others paying that bill than me, the school. The school still gets all the profit from the TV deals, the bowl game appearances, etc. So let your boosters pay the, the tab to get recruits in. You get all the profits. It's a win win from the school standpoint. So, you know, all these other schools are looking at this in the short-term basis and complaining about a kid getting an $8 million check. It's not fair. You're going to ruin the tradition of college football. Um, There's not going to be any parity. You're going to have, you know, certain programs that dominate, blah, 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 blah. Like any of that has mattered in the past. And so they're looking at this from a short-term standpoint. If you look at it from the long-term standpoint where you're going to have to pay players anyway, You might as well do it this way, and you might as well have your boosters do it. And, you know, I've seen, you know, other people say, well, you know, what happens to this money if this kid wants to transfer? You know, they're going to take advantage of him. There's no free agency in sports. Blah, 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 blah. You know what? This is a young man. If you're getting a contract for $8 million, I hope you're smart about it. I hope you have an attorney read your contract or an agent or, quite frankly, both. Your parents should be involved in that decision. You should have all of that understanding rolling into it. And, like, spare me that, you know, he can't make his own decision. Not to mention, if he's stuck at the University of Tennessee for $8 million, <laughs> that's much better than any other player in the past who either did this under the table or not, not at all for fear of violating the rules at least now it's in the open. We understand the playing field. You can't tell me that there's not attorneys or agents lining up to help these kids out. And are there going to be, you know, players in this arena that are taking advantage of kids? Absolutely. And they should be punished for those actions. So <clears throat> those are my thoughts on it. I, I'm just kind of sick of the college landscape being all high, high and mighty. These are student athletes. No, they're not. 
They're not. And if you don't believe me, look at how much money these colleges bring in for a football season. I mean, you got the Big Ten talking about billion-dollar TV deals. And now a kid can make $8 million and we're going to crack the whip because it's quote-unquote inducement. Like, if that's what he's worth, then let him, let him earn that money. And you know what? If he transfers and he loses that money, he should know all of that going into it, and he should have representatives on his behalf who are looking at these deals, making sure the child, or the, I shouldn't even say child, the young man is protected. And if he's got bad representation, then those people should be punished for it. So <clears throat> those are my thoughts on it. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of sick of the, the moral argument and, you know, free agency and transfer portage portals, hurting the game, like all this stuff. No, it's not. Athlete empowerment. Let these athletes make their own decisions. And if they can, if they can take advantage of their situation, if, and he can make $8 million before he is the end of his junior year, good on him. He deserves it. And so does the next guy who's going to sign a bigger deal. Let these kids play. Let them make their money. Everybody will be better off. And the school should go along with it because let the boosters pay for it. You don't have to. You still get to collect the ticket money. You still get the TV deals. Um, and you still get the profits. Seems like a win-win to me. So <clears throat> just my thoughts on it. Um, so thank you all for listening. Follow me on the socials. Uh, Mike will be back this weekend uh, to talk more football. We'll have plenty to talk about. And we'll kind of get back into rhythm with him. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And I'll talk to you later. Bye.